0: This morning, is that a bit echoey? <laughs> is that all right? Okay. I'm not used to hearing my voice so loudly. I'm um, going to look at numbers eleven and twelve, mainly twelve, but also a little bit in eleven as well. And we're going to think about a bit about our attitudes and Moses himself um, this morning and the situations he found himself in and the situations he found himself in because of the people around him, those people being the Israelites and his family, the people he's had quite a few, obviously different couple of different relationships with, the people he was leading and the people who were his brothers and sisters, and which one of those was most difficult to deal with, the huge numbers of Israelites or brother and sister. Um, so... Um, John's going to talk a bit more about complaining next week, which is one of the reasons I suspect why we both picked on um, being thankful as our songs. (laughs) Um, But the Israelites were constant complainers, and the complaining starts in this chapter. There'll be more complaining next week. Um, But they were. And then I found this great cartoon, so just read this one and think about this for a moment. We're not complainers, are we? So, if you'd say, oh, another Old Testament passage when uh, we preach, then (laughs) just entertain me, that one. So, in Numbers 11, now you've got little bits and pieces of this on your bulletins as well. Um, We have the Israelites complaining. And uh, Moses has just sorted them out, as John was preaching last week, into their marching orders, of how they get carried and how they move around and they go from place to place. However, it would appear that they didn't particularly appreciate this, and it says in verse 11, verse verse 1 of chapter 11, Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord, and when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Then far from the Lord burned among them and consumed them, some of the outskirts of the camp. When the people cried out to Moses, he prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So God not being particularly chuffed about the fact that these people he's managed to rescue out of Egypt are starting to complain. However, you'd have thought, wouldn't you, that if that had happened to you, <laughs> you'd whinged a bit, and the fire from heaven had come down and zapped some of you, you might keep quiet. No. No. <laughs> Uh, In verse 4, it says, the rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started moaning, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt. So, thinking about the the food they had in Egypt when, of course, they were slaves. And and now they're moaning about manna. The manna, of course, being the food that God has provided for them every single day in the wilderness. Um, Uh, and uh, they they can collect it every day, it never runs out, they have to eat it that day, but it's there every day. Um, Now, they wanted meat instead, so they didn't want what they were given, they wanted something else. We've never been like that at all, have we? Um, and it would appear that it's every family wailing. So, everybody, the kind of like the moaniness is collected and collected and collected. So, some people start moaning and then, oh, we think that too. Oh, yes, I know, I know, I know, I know. So, every family at their tent is saying, oh, give us meat instead of this manner. Um, so, they start complaining. And then, actually, then Moses then loses it completely. He actually, then Moses starts complaining but Moses doesn't complain to everybody else. He complains to the person he probably should complain. But he should complain to and turn his, his, his anger to. Um, but this is what poor Moses says. And if you've ever been in a leadership position, sometimes you might say these things in your heart. <laughs> he asked the Lord, Why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done just to displease you that you have put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive these people? Did I give them birth? Why did you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you've promised as an oath of their forefathers? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me, give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you're going to treat me, put me to death right now if I have found favour in your eyes, and do not let me face my own ruin. So Moses is overwhelmed at this point, completely overwhelmed by the fact that he's seeing that he has all these people he has to look after. And as he says, I've got to carry them in my arms. I just, I'm going to take them, I've got to look after them, I've got to nurture them, I've got to care for them, and they're asking me for stuff I cannot give them. So... God is not angry with Moses, but makes a sensible suggestion to him. He suggests some delegation, which is what every good leader needs, is people to delegate things to. So the Lord said to Moses, bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Make them come to the tent of meeting. So um, if you remember from John's pictures last week of where that tent of meeting was in the center of the camp, and make them come to the tent of meeting that they may come and speak with you there. And I will take the spirit that is on you and put that spirit on them. They will help you carry the burden of the people. So you do not have to carry it alone. So there we are. God has a solution. And um, in my role as a leader in my school, oh, I don't do anything really. I've delegated most of it now. <laughs> Not entirely, but um, I don't do things that I don't need to do that someone else can do. Well, actually, that's not entirely true. I do an awful lot of things that somebody else could do instead of me. But you cannot do things all by yourself. You can't do that. And um, it's very interesting to see how Moses was trying to carry too much. And sometimes we can find ourselves in situations where we have too much to do. And we do sometimes have to be rational about it and think about, is there another way that I can do this? Because I'm now exhausted from doing this. Therefore, who else could do it? And how do you train future leaders? By making them leaders, by giving them responsibilities. So that's what Moses does. Um, in, In the meantime, God gives them meat. He gives them quails. And they eat loads of that and uh, they try and gather more and more of it because they're greedy about it so that doesn't go well either for them but we won't go into that for now but um, these 70 leaders who are already kind of like leaders and officials amongst the people um, they already got some kind of responsibility for maybe each tribe and maybe each family group and so on and so forth but they haven't actually been given the holy spirit they haven't been given that special relationship that Moses has with God. And I'm not sure they even do get that special, special relationship because that's a Moses-God thing. But what happens is God does give them his Holy Spirit. So it says in verse 24, Moses went out and told the people. He brought together 70 of their elders and made them stand around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with him, which is what they always saw, the cloud coming down and speaking with Moses. And he took of the spirit that was on him, and he put the spirit on the 70 elders. When the spirit rested on them, they prophesied." And it says, interesting, but they did not do so again. So, we have suddenly these people being given the Holy Spirit and they prophesy, they speak of the goodness of God and in, a, in an amazing way. But they don't do that again. But that, if you like, was the sign that the spirit was resting on them, I suppose. And then we have this incidental bit. Maybe there are actually only 68 of them there because it says two men whose names were Eldad and Medad were actually in the camp. They hadn't actually gone outside the tent of the meeting. Who knows why? But they were still among the elders. They were still the ones that Moses had chosen. And they weren't there to get that particular blessing and the Holy Spirit, but they still prophesied. So, suddenly, they were over in their tents, so the Spirit of the Lord rested on them because Moses had set aside these people. Then you have this rather interesting incident, really, where Joshua, who is Moses' right-hand man who does the stuff, and we know that Joshua is going to be the future leader um, who's been looking at Moses, clearly admires and respects Moses hugely. And uh, they find out that Eldad and Medad are prophesying. And Joshua says, Moses, stop them. But Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Then Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. So you can see here that Moses isn't slightly bothered about his standing, or his status. He says, I wish everybody prophesied. I don't mind if they weren't the people who were standing here. It's fine if God speaks through somebody else. That's absolutely fine with me, because I want everyone to have those gifts. And it did remind me of this passage in Philippians 1, 12 to 18, where Paul something very similar. In Philippians 1, Paul says this. He's in chains when he's writing this, So, he's imprisoned, one of his moments of imprisonment. And uh, he says this, I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it is clear through the whole palace garden to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the prophet brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of the Lord more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy, envy and rivalry, but others do so out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defence of the, for the, for the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I am in change. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. So Paul had that same attitude of saying, "Hey, you know, people are talking about Jesus. That's all that matters. Why they're doing it? If people are getting saved, that is the main thing." So there we have how Moses has tried to deal with the huge complaints of his uh, the people he has to carry in his arms. He's delegated some of that out, and he's very happy to do that. His next problems come in chapter 12, because it's not the wider group of people who he probably isn't quite so emotionally involved with. It's his brother and sister. So, Miriam and Aaron. Now, if you remember, Miriam, well, we'll come to that minute. Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite or an Ethiopian. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked. Hasn't he spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. So actually their complaint there isn't actually about his wife at all. It's what they're saying, hasn't the Lord spoken through us? Now, I think if you tie this up with what has just happened in the previous chapter, God has spoken to Moses about delegating some of his authority to other people. It doesn't say anywhere in there that Miriam and Aaron Aaron were consulted in any of this. That's it. Miriam is one of the first people to be uh, noted in the Bible as somebody who prophesied. She prophesied when they got through the Red Sea. She was known as a prophetess. Suddenly, there are other people doing what her job is and what her status is. Is that where the issues are coming from? Now, if you remember, Miriam is Moses' big sister, and she was probably looked up to an enormous amount, not just because of her role as a prophetess amongst the people of Israel, but with the fact if it wasn't for her, Moses would be toast, quite frankly, (laughs) because it was her that saved his life. At the very beginning, she was there to mind him when he was put in the River Nile in his basket, When all the Israelite children were meant to be killed, all the boy children were meant to be killed, and she watched over him. She's clearly a canny lass. She was probably about seven or eight or nine at the time. People generally think she's a bit older than Moses, and she was bright enough and brave enough to stand by the river Nile, watch her watch her baby brother in his bulrush basket, dodge the crocodiles, and do a deal with the Pharaoh's daughter and suggest her mother should be Moses' wet nurse. So, suddenly, the whole family still get to bring up Moses, but Moses is saved, and Moses then leads the life of an Egyptian, and so on and so forth. So, Miriam probably had quite a high opinion of herself, really, because, quite rightly, she had been extremely capable and had um, been obedient, done exactly what she'd been told to do, at some personal risk. And she is probably still thinks she knows better than Moses, really. I suspect. And then you have Aaron. Oh, and I said that she was mentioned of a prophet, but now there are suddenly seventy more people infringing on her little job, or big job, as it may (coughs) be. And there we also have Aaron, who has been had to be the person that's been supporting Moses all along, being brave enough to go to Pharaoh with him. Um, He is the high priest. He is the person who's, you know, representing that whole priesthood of the Levites, who's listening to God, but Moses is the one that has the relationship with God. Aaron isn't, and is that part of the package there as well? I'm only suggesting what might be there, but I think it's a possible interpretation of uh, the situation. Also, Miriam is mentioned first. So, people are generally say, saying, you know, it's Miriam that started this because her name comes first. So, she probably said, oh, Aaron, I'm not very happy. I don't think Moses should be marrying that Ethiopian woman. <laughs> oh, sorry, Ethi- yeah, Ethiopian woman. Um, so. Is that why she is the, uh, the one that has the um, rather shocking moment happened to her in a bit? Now, in verse three, there is a little bit in brackets, and it says, Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. And uh, it's generally thought that Moses wrote the first five chapters of the Bible but I suspect that little bit there is in brackets because that's the bit he didn't write. <laughs> that some, a scholar later on put that bit in because they just thought, look, here is this great man here, and um, we're just, I'm just going to put this in. <laughs> I'm going to say he was a humble man. He was more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. And you can see quite clearly, can't you, from his life that actually he just did what he was meant to do. He didn't do the job that he did from any sense of his own entitlement or his own status. It was not important to him at all. He just served God. So, um, the Lord has heard this grumbling between Miriam and Aaron. Uh, Once the Lord said to Moses, Aaron and Miriam, come out to the tent of the meeting, all of you. And of course, this would have been a public place. It wasn't in a quiet, small place. It was the middle of the camp. They may have been muttering in their tent, but God still heard them and told them to come out so someone very publicly. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud. He stood at the entrance of the tent and he summoned Aaron and Miriam. Then both of them stepped forward. He said, listen to my words. When a prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal to him myself to him in visions. I speak to him in dreams. So almost he's saying to Miriam, when you're here, then I will reveal myself to you in visions and in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord, Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So you have this, and if you think the previous chapter, there was Moses moaning to God saying, you've given me all these people, I can't do it. And and God's compassion for Moses, he knows Moses' worth. He thinks he's amazing. (laughs) He says, how can you speak against Moses like this? And the anger of the Lord burned against them and he left them. And then we have this rather shocking punishment for for Miriam. When the cloud lifted above the tent, there stood Miriam, leprous like snow. So, a skin disease completely covered her. Aaron turned towards her and saw that she had leprosy. And he said to Moses, please, my Lord, do not hold against us the sin we have so foolishly committed. Do not let her be like a stillborn infant coming away from his mother's womb with its flesh half eaten away. So, Moses, Moses cried out to the Lord, Oh God, please heal her." Uh, Lord says, "This: if her father has spat in her face, would she not have been in disgrace for seven days? Confine her outside the camp for seven days. After that, she can be brought back." And we presume from that that she is then healed, and she comes back, and she's fine after that. So, even though she has done something so shocking, she actually gets off with what would be considered then a minor punishment because that that, was some of their rather interesting roles that they had. So, a very public example was made of Miriam for daring to speak out against the Lord. Now, I don't want you to think that people saying things (laughs) is wrong (laughs) and for people challenging things is wrong, but there's clearly the attitude in which you do it. So, let's think about our... um, application of this. So, sometimes if we're not happy about something that is happening, um, what are our motivations for that? Aaron and Miriam were, I think, resentful. I'm, in, I'm implying that. It doesn't say that, but I'm implying that. Did they realize that was what they were complaining about? They weren't happy. Do we sometimes examine ourselves really carefully to think about why We're not happy about something that is going on, whether that's at church, whether that's in our home lives, whether that's at work. What is it about us that is niggling at us, that is producing a whingy attitude in us or an attitude that means that we're just not happy? Now, and this is the other thing about um, Moses, isn't it? Our status is who we are in God's sight. And it's not the roles he's given us. That isn't our status. I am still surprised that because I just think of myself as me, but in my role as a head teacher, people don't think of me as me. They think of me as a head teacher. Therefore, they are some not always they are sometimes more respectful of me than I expect them to be. <laughs> um, Sometimes, because I've said something to somebody in the local authority and I run a school where they say, oh, yes, no, Ruth will do that, we'll do that, which is very nice, I have to say, when people take account of my status when I want something done and someone in my school who's not got my status has asked for it to be done they said, oh, I don't know about that. And Then I phoned up and said, oh, no, no, yes, we'll do that. That actually makes me quite cross because I think people should give everybody respect. Um, but... I don't see my importance in my job or anything else as anything really to do with me at all. I only do what I do because God has given me the opportunity to do that. And um, many days I'm like Moses saying, why have you given me these people to look after in my school? I can't do this. So, um, (sighs) So I would say, do the job you have been given, whatever it might be, whether that's your role inside the church, whether it's a role in your family, whether it's a role in your job, to the very best of your ability, the abilities that he would given you, and ask for the Holy Spirit to help you. But hold the role lightly, not tightly. Don't be like Miriam and be upset if someone else does that role that you do you might think they might do it better, hold it lightly. If you didn't do that role any longer and someone else did it, would you mind? If you minded, maybe you shouldn't be doing it in the first place, or you need to examine your motives of doing it, because does that role give you the status and the, the reassurance you need your self-esteem rather than just the knowledge that God loves you and cares about you and that's actually all that mattered because that's all that mattered to Moses that he followed God it's all that mattered to Paul that the gospel was preached Jesus's status mattered so little to him he was prepared to suffer the complete humiliation of crucifixion for something he, for sins he had not committed. So, that's the attitude that we should have. And in 2 Corinthians 3, 7, 18, it says this. Because, of course, when we read this bit in Numbers about um, God coming down in the cloud and the mystery of it all and this God who struck people down with fire and lightning and leprosy, that's the Old Testament, and we have a new covenant, and therefore, our relationship with God is so different, and how we can react and respond is entirely different. So, it says in 2 Corinthians 3, 7 to 18. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so this is Moses coming down from the Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments, came with glory, so the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was will not the ministry of the Holy Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men, so that's the law, is glorious, how much glory, more glorious, is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory, therefore. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away, because Moses had spoken with God face to face. Therefore, that radiance (coughs) was on his face. He had to put the veil over because they couldn't see it. But their minds were made dull. To this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That's the freedom that has been bought for us by Jesus' death on the cross. And we, with unveiled faces, reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing <coughs> glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So we are now standing in that Holy of Holies, beyond the Tent of the Meeting, right there, face to face with God. And we have that glory. We, have, we can have that same relationship that Moses had with God. That is the relationship that we, we, we need to have. And that's the attitude we need to have, that we are there with him and there's nothing between us. And because of that, we can be transformed so that all people see when they see us is Jesus, not us. Do we want that? Yes, you say. I hope. (laughs) (laughs) I've just found a couple of quotes about leadership to finish off with here, just to think about, really. Um, If you think about what Moses was doing... The difference between a boss and a leader, a boss says, "Go and a leader go," and a leader says, "Let's go." It's that idea that we're going together. And this is a um, thought for any of you who have a leadership position, which is interesting. Give, but don't allow yourself to be used. Love, but don't allow your heart to be abused. Trust, but don't be naive. Listen to others, but don't lose your own voice. And for that, I would say, because this is a secular quote, listen to others, but don't lose hearing God's voice. And then finally, a thought about complaining. Before we sing, I've got a moment to sing a quick song. We all have opportunities to reflect the glory of the Lord. So we're going to finish by singing with a quick segue around um, the song, which is Jesus, lover of my soul, because the chorus goes, it's all about you, Jesus, and all this is for you, for your glory and your fame. It's not about me, that you should do things my way. You alone are God, and I surrender to your ways. So if that's spoken to you this morning, let's sing this and let's say, God, whatever I do in my life, it's yours. It's got nothing to do with me. I want to be like Moses.